New Hope, I am so very proud of you. Did you hear some of those numbers? I mean, I could repeat them all, but I will pass. I do wanna say this one though. Think about this for a moment. Let this settle in. 2,651 hours to the best of our guess. We're probably shallow on that because probably more people served than we actually heard. But we know of 2,651 hours given to the Lord for his people in this area. That is incredible. That is what we mean from the seats to the streets. And, and that is what I've been asking for several years now as, as I've asked you this question. Um, if new hope ceased to exist, would this area miss us? Now that's a good question. And that's the kind of question that keeps me up at night. But I think as we keep embracing this word of change on Vision Day this year, and we keep trying to make sure we are the church that gets out in the community and loves people and serves people, I just think that we will become a church that people, even those who don't even know God, will say, you know what? Those New Hope people are some beautiful people who know how to show the love of God in this world today. Come on, if you believe it and you receive it and you love it, let me hear you celebrate. I want to give a warm shout out and welcome all the campuses. Talking about the church online, if you're watching online, we love you guys. The Durham campus, two Kenya campuses, Columbia, Hillsboro, Wake Forest, Sanford, Garner. Come on, let's all give everybody some love. Welcome everybody to the church. Glad you're here today. Hey, if you haven't downloaded the app, go to the app store right now if you want to and download that bad boy. If you already have it downloaded, open it up, follow along with me. They have re, uh, revamped that entire app and it is awesome. The teaching notes are there. You can take notes on your phone or your iPad or whatever the case may be, but go ahead and get that. Uh, two weeks from today, next Sunday, you don't wanna miss next Sunday, we're gonna have Holy Communion together and I'm gonna take this subject matter that I'm talking about in just a moment deeper next week and I'm gonna show you the way in which it is connected to the cross and Holy Communion. Uh, but for now, just know that the week after that, June 2nd, we are doing a brand new series, kicking off our summer series called Shoes. Like, what you talking about? Everybody say shoes. And you see these different styles of shoes. Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna uh, actually learn from Jesus by walking in the shoes of other people. We're gonna be studying Jesus in the New Testament by embodying, if you will, or stepping into the shoes of people who had close encounters with Jesus. And we're gonna learn about Jesus this summer like never before. I am fired up to go get this summer series. But for now, let's talk about assassins. Let's wrap this series up today with an incredibly common assassin. The one that we're looking at today is anger. Everybody say anger. anger. That was okay. Now I want you to say anger like you're angry. Anger. Oh, that was good. That was good. Some people said angry or anger. Anger. It's a subject matter that is so important for us. Last week, you might recall that um, the assassin that we talked about was envy. You remember this? If you were here, envy. And I shared last week how envy is one of the most toxic assassins we will ever encounter. It's just toxic, man. 
This week, anger though, anger is one of the most destructive assassins we will try to overcome by the power of Jesus and deal with. Because if you don't get your anger under control, it will destroy your life in more ways than one. Not only that, it will hurt and damage, many times irreparably so, it will damage some of your closest relationships. And here's the tricky thing about anger. It's so complex. Those who struggle with anger, often they're unaware of it. I was counseling a guy one time and I say that loosely, like I am not a counselor. If you're new around here, I often say, you do not want me counseling you. I'm not a counselor, but I was trying to counsel this guy. And, um, I was talking, and he just kept going on and on and on. The reason I'm not a good counselor is because, like, I just go right, I, I normally go right for it. And so, like, I don't have time, bam! And so I diagnosed him pretty quick. That's, I'm not a good counselor. Again, you need a counselor who will sit you down on the couch and just love you and, and, and talk and spend all kind of time with you. And that stuff is valuable. But, like, he, got, he, he was going, and finally I just said, you know what your problem is, dude? You're angry. And he looked at me, he goes, I'm not angry! <laughs> dude, you're You're, you're angry. And most of the time when folks don't, don't know that anger is their issue, that's when it becomes really, really hard to deal with. I don't know if you've ever thought about this before. Check this out. Anger is just one letter short of danger. Anger and danger. And my point in pointing that out is that if you don't figure out how to overcome anger, it will land your life in the danger zone, and the life of those you love the most. Here's what the Greek philosopher Aristotle said. Check this out. Anyone can become angry. That is easy. But to be angry with the right person, to the right degree, at the right time, for the right purpose, in the right way, <laughs> this is not Easy, I see the phones out, people trying to take pictures. That's a great, great quote. I mean, how many of you, come on, come on. How many of you have been angry before? That's everybody, that's everybody. If you haven't been angry before, dude, I really wanna meet you after church. How many of you though, how many of you have learned how to be angry at the right time with the right person to the right degree to the right purpose, in the right way. That is very, very difficult. And listen, I don't have to tell you that way too often we're not angry in the right kind of way. The damage that mishandled, mismanaged anger does in our world and in our society is absolutely staggering. Check it out, here are some FBI stats. In our country, a violent crime is committed every 24 seconds. Now just think about that. Think about how many violent crimes are going to be committed in a worship celebration that'll last about 75 minutes. An aggravated assault every 48 seconds and a murder every 23 minutes. Domestic violence is the number one cause of emergency room visits by women. Check this out. 1,500 people are killed or injured each year in cases of road rage. Now, I have a confession. Shh, don't tell anyone. I love to go online. I don't do it a lot, but I probably hit it up twice a month. I love to go online and I watch 
road rage videos. What is wrong with me? I think it's because I used to be a road rage kind of guy. Come on, let me see if I got any brothers with me. Anybody else struggle with road rage? Men, men, any women, women? See, I got some honest people. How about at the campuses? Come on, just raise your hand. Like, dude, I don't, I, 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 I'm not a road rage guy anymore. But dude, I love going online and watching them. Now, don't tell anybody. Shh, that's a top secret. But this, this thing of anger tends to manifest itself in rage as we learn how to deal with it. And if you follow me online, you know that I put out there this week, the truth is anger. Anger has been my default emotion all my life. Not proud of that, but that is the reality. I talked about envy last week. Like the truth is I don't struggle with envy. Like I love celebrating when good things happen in the lives of others. I love that in other pastors and other churches and people in general. I love that. Where I've struggled my life has been this issue of anger. Now, all of you know my story, and I won't get into it much now, but you know, the wrecked and redeemed story. Here's the reality. I know I was running from God. I've said that before. I was trying to run for God. I was trying to find God. It was this great philosopher who said there's this God-shaped vacuum inside of all of us that can only be filled by Christ Jesus. I was looking for God, but as I really probed beneath the surface, here's the deal. Part of my teenage years were simply a result of an angry teenage boy lashing out at family and culture and all kinds of forms, any forms of authority. The root cause was anger, but it was just simply a reflection of all this other stuff that I had going on inside of me that was being lived out in anger, in rage. Now, before I get too far into it today, I want to acknowledge that there is this thing called righteous anger. I'm not talking about righteous anger today, but let me just unpack it a little bit. You guys know the story. Jesus goes into the temple, remember? The religious leaders are taking advantage of poor people. The religious leaders are scamming poor people. They're taking their money. They're making them pay for sacrificial lambs and those sort of things. Jesus gets mad. He says, how dare you turn my father's house into a money-making business. And remember, he grabs a whip and course, and he starts running them out of the temple. That is righteous anger. And if you're sitting here today, let me just acknowledge, there are times for us to experience righteous anger. Come on, think about it with me here for a moment. If you can watch news reports in this day and age of the atrocities happening in this world and not feel some kind of righteous indignation deep inside of you, listen, there's something wrong with you. And, and this can happen in our culture because there's so many atrocities, I have to fight sometimes against growing numb. I mean, you see another school shooting, does that not break your heart anymore? We're in trouble as a culture the moment that stops bothering us, or you don't feel angry over rape, or you don't feel anger over child pornography or child molestation or scamming other people out of things that is rightly theirs, then your heart has grown immensely apathetic. I believe there is a time to be angry, 
but that is righteous anger. Moreover, if you've tried to get your life back on track, you know that anger, righteous anger, can actually be good, can be motivation. How many of you have had points in your life where you finally just hit a wall and you said, you know what, I'm sick and tired of my routine. I'm sick and tired of feeling like this, or I'm sick and tired of eating like this and not exercising. Those moments when a person says, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired, those are important moments when righteous anger can fuel you on to be a better person. Agreed? But most of the time, be honest with yourself, most of the time, the anger that you experience, and definitely most of the time, the anger that I experience is not righteous anger. It's sinful anger. And the Bible is crystal clear about this subject. In fact, James, the brother of Jesus, put it like this. He said, my dear brothers... Take note of this. Everyone read this with me right here. Everyone, go. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. There it is. Anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. The Apostle Paul actually put it like this in Colossians 3, 8. Why don't we read this out loud? Go. But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Oh my Lord, I need to preach a sermon right there. That's another sermon for another day. But can I just state for the record that Christians should talk differently than the world? I know about grace and we're a grace place and all of that. I know, I know, I know. But sometimes I hear Christians talking like a bunch of sailors. But I digress. Let's move on. <laughs> but some of you came for that right there today. The Bible says get rid of these things that they're not pleasing to God. And here's what you need to know, man. Anger is progressive in nature. And some of you know this all too well personally, or you've been living with an angry person. It will consume you. And soon you will find yourself dedicating large amounts of energy and brain power and time to resource and feed and nurture this very thing that is killing you and everyone else in your life. The Bible says, get rid of it. I've known churches where anger has splintered and destroyed those churches because those families or those churches or those individuals will not dig up the root of anger. What's going on beneath the surface? What's really causing you to blow off your steam and your anger on everybody around you such that you just spew mass amounts of anger around you? What is going on and how do we get beneath the surface to root it out? And again, that's where we're going next week. You don't want to miss next Sunday because we're going to, I'm giving you some practical points in a moment, but we're going to go deep beneath the surface next week. And I'm going to show you how you start to eradicate anger from your life and how it all starts, stops, and ends at the cross. 
of Jesus Christ. Dallas Willard is one of my favorite theologians and authors. And Willard says this, to cut out the root of anger is to wither the tree of human evil. That's a great quote. To cut out the root of anger is to wither the tree of human evil. Take out your teaching notes, or if you're using the app, that's fine. Let me, let me use the words of Dallas Willard, if you will, to teach us how to root out anger. If you're ready for it, say bring it. Amen. Number one, number one, number one, write it in, fill in the blank. Reflect before you react. Oh my. Reflect before you react. Anger is a complex emotion. And because of its complexity, we need to slow down and not fly off at the handle on everything. Come on, be honest with me. How many of you have said things before in the midst of your anger that you wish you could take back? I remember being married to my wife early on and we were having an argument and I got mad at something. And I remember I had words. They, they started to form way back here in the brainstem. I could feel them coming. I could feel them formulating. Listen, I am sorry if I'm disappointing you right now. This was a long time ago. This was a long time ago, but I was a Christian, but I was a, I was a work in progress like I am today. And I didn't say I'm at her, but I said it at the thing that was making me mad in the basement of my house. And I started formulating these four letter words and they started conjuring themselves up and all of a sudden they came out. And I remember thinking that felt so good. But then I remember looking at my wife and I saw a look on her face. Like, who is this dude that I married for the rest of my life? <laughs> Anger is an issue where that if you don't get a hold of it and you don't learn to what? Reflect. When? When? Before you react. If you don't learn to do that, man, you will hurt a lot of people. And that's why the old uh, count to 10 thing, I know it's old school, but come on, it still works. Like when you feel, when you feel those words formulating in the brainstem of you, or you feel something, your actions are about to go off, it's still powerful. Your mama might've taught you this early on, count to 10 and just reflect a little bit about the damage that can happen if you just let that anger go. Anger is complex. It's mysterious. It's baffling. And most of the time, our anger tends to divert our attention away. Listen, I told you we were going to talk about this a little bit. Away from the main issue that you're feeling deep inside. Psychologists make it very clear that anger is not a primary emotion. Anger is a secondary emotion. When we're feeling things, be it sadness or hurt or abandonment or loneliness, because those emotions are harder to deal with, we skip those emotions and we jump right over to an emotion that feels good to exercise, and that is the emotion of anger. You're looking at me like you might need an example or so. Okay, so... so <laughs> I know, you gotta, you gotta kind of think about this. So put your thinking caps on today and next week. He comes home at 
The fourth night that week, he's pulled into the driveway late, 9, 30, 10 o'clock, four nights that week. His wife is waiting for him at the door. She's angry. I'm talking spitting nails kind of angry. The first thing she says when he comes into the door is, hey, I got an idea. Since you love work so much, why don't you put a cot at the office? He doesn't know what to do. And she goes, and besides that, I put some name tags on the kids so that you can start to know them by their names. Now, what's going on? What's going on? Four nights that week, he's been out late. Work over family. Is her primary emotion anger? Her primary emotion that she's feeling is probably sadness or abandonment. Feeling like work takes priority over her and the family. We jump the primary emotions to usually exercise and exhibit anger. So if you deal with an angry person or you're an angry person yourself, you have to learn to start asking yourself, what is going on inside my soul beneath the surface? What is the primary emotion going on? When you start to feel it, and, you, and I started learning this about a decade ago, I started to learn that a gauge on the dashboard of my life that I needed to watch very, very carefully was the gauge of irritability. When I, I started to figure out a pattern in my life, when I first started to grow irritable, maybe I was getting irritated with my children or irritated with my spouse or irritated with the church or if my irritability starts to elevate higher and higher, then I know that anger is right around the corner. And so then you start to ask yourself, what is it? What, what is irritating me so much? Maybe I'm not spending time in the word like I need to daily. Maybe I'm not praying like I should. Maybe, maybe there's something at work bothering me, right? You start to figure that out, then you can root out the anger. You can be proactive before it eats your lunch. So you reflect before you react. Here's the second one, write it in. Remember the results. Remember what, church? Remember the results. Here's what you need to know, and this is why I'm not into excuse making. Our culture is a victim mentality culture right now. Everybody wants to play the victim card. And if I can play the victim card and blame it on my family or blame it on this or blame it on society or blame it on that, if I can play the victim card, then I can make an excuse and I can then excuse bad behavior. So what you have to do is you have to remember the results and you have to realize I have a choice. It doesn't matter how bad your upbringing was. It doesn't matter what you've gone through. You have a choice as to whether or not you are going to let anger be your default emotion in your life. You don't have to stuff it. You don't have to spew it. You don't have to litigate it or bomb people with your anger. It can be managed in a God-honoring way. 1 Corinthians 13, you guys remember that chapter? It's the love chapter. You've heard it at weddings all the time, right? And, and love, you'll remember as Paul unpacks the love chapter, Paul says, I used to act like a child. Remember what he said then? But now I put childish ways behind me. Come on. Some of us are here and you need to actually get on the victory side of your anger. 
You need to realize you, you have a choice and you need to realize that childish ways means bombing people with your anger, spewing people with your anger, saying things that you shouldn't say, doing things that you didn't do, shouldn't do. So you wake up the next morning with all kinds of regret and again, some irreparable damage. So you remember the results. You teach yourself to remember. Remember the last time I lost it? How'd that work out for me? And you start to think proactively about those times where your anger has gotten you in a bad, bad situation. Just because someone has made you angry, listen, right, this is key. Just because someone has made you angry does not mean that you have to be mean. No, 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 no. You don't have to compound the problem with sin and anger, foolish words or foolish actions. Look at what the Bible says here in Proverbs 29, 22. Ready? Go, church. An angry man stirs up dissension and a hot-tempered one commits many sins. In other words, what I'm saying to you in this point number two is play the video out. Take a time out. Remember, reflect before you react. Take a time out and then just play the video out in your head. How has my anger worked out in the past? What has it left behind that I can't repair? I once heard about a dad who had a son, and some of you, some of your, your kids struggle with this. Some of you have kids that they're they just hot-tempered, and sometimes we get children that are just, that's their default as well. And, and this dad was trying to deal with a son who kept blowing off with temper tantrums and raising all kinds of cane. And as the kids started to approach his teenage years, the dad called him, called him aside and said, here's the deal, son. I'm sick and tired of your anger. I'm sick and tired of your temper tantrums. I'm sick and tired of you saying things you shouldn't say to your mom. Here's the deal. Every time you lose your temper... I want you to go out to the wood fence out back and I want you to take a nail and I want you to hammer it into this section of the wood fence. The boy didn't have any choice because the dad said it and it was that kind of dad, if you know what I mean. So the boy kept losing his temper. The dad would make him go out there. The first week, the boy <laughs> nailed 37 nails into the fence. 37. But as he kept learning his lesson, the temper tantrum started to decrease. I think the second week it went down to 20 or something. And finally, over a period of time, over a period of time, the boy started to get control of his temper tantrums. And his dad took him outside and said, son, see all these nails? Here's what I want you to do now. You've obviously grown through this. You're starting to mature as a young man. I want you to take every one of these nails out of the fence. Taught the boy how to take the hammer, use the backside of the hammer and pop the nails out of the fence. He went inside, the boy took all the nails out of the fence, but the dad had one more lesson to teach him. The dad walked him out there and said, son, I wanna show you something. Went right to that section of the fence and said, do you see what's, what's happened? Do you see all the holes in the wood? Though you've grown through your temper tantrums, though you've removed all the nails, this part of the fence will always be marked by your temper, by the words you've said to your mother, by the words you've said to me. You will never be able to repair this fence. That is the unfortunate negative power of anger 
rage and saying things you should not say. Do you feel this right now in the room? Oh my Lord. Some of you are sitting there going, oh yeah. Some things I've done. Some things I've said. Some things that have been done and said to me again next week, man, we're going to be talking about what do you have to do? Because at the end of the day, most folks that struggle with anger have this other thing deep inside of them that is hurt. And they believe, listen closely, they believe somebody owes them something. And next week, we're going to talk about the ways in which people have hurt us over the years. And you have a choice. You can either live your life as if they owe you something, continuing to waller in the anger, if you will. Or you can practice what we talk about next week and move beyond your anger and be a person of victory and joy. Look at what the Bible says, Proverbs eleven twenty nine. 29. Look at the living Bible translation of this deal. Ready? Go. The fool who provokes his family to anger and resentment will finally have nothing worthwhile left. Wow. The damage can be long-term. Here's the third and final thing. Write it in. Restrain your remarks. Restrain your remarks. If you are an angry person, you are going to need to learn to live with some blood in your mouth. You're like, what are you talking about? You are going to have to learn how to bite your tongue and not speak what immediately comes to your mind. You have to learn to refrain your remarks. Come on, let's read this verse out loud together. Proverbs 21, 23, out loud, really strong. Here we go. If you want to stay out of trouble, be careful with what you say. Oh, that's so good. Let's read it again. If you want to stay out of trouble, be careful with what you say. Come on. Anybody else's mouth has gotten you in trouble before? <laughs> Sister in the back said. <laughs> uh, let's read a long passage. We kind of started with James. Look at what James says here in chapter three, two and eight. Indeed, we all make many mistakes. Let the church say amen. Amen. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. But a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And the tongue is a flame of fire. Listen closely, church. It is a whole world of wickedness, corrupting your entire body. 
It can set your whole life on fire for it is set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Now, come on. That last part right there feels very hopeless, doesn't it? James is kind of in a bad situation right here. No one can tame it. What James is not telling us, and this is how you got to learn to read scripture. The Bible says that with God, all things are possible. Come on. The Bible says nothing is impossible with God. So though James is making the clear point, your tongue will get you into areas of danger and hurt you and hurt others. Let us be reminded that we serve a God who raises up overcomers so that you can overcome your anger, your pride, your fear, your envy. Assassins might come our way, but the power of the gospel unleashed in our lives can enable us to overcome assassins' emotions like anger. It can happen. So I come today delivering some hope to you. Don't forget, if you start to feel discouraged or you start to get a little down because of the damage you've done in your life over anger, don't forget that as Christians, as we grow and mature in Christ, we can start to develop and nurture the fruit of the Spirit. Remember that? If you know it, say it with me. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Self what? Control. You can learn to control your anger. Trust me. I've seen God do a great, great work in my life in this area, but it had to require that I dig it out it had to require that I stopped making excuses. We can all make excuses. It had to require that I had to start building some bridges and getting over the hurt in my past. And it had to require some key things that I'm going to take us to next week. But for now, read Proverbs 15, 1 with me. Ready? Go. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Any golfers in the house? Golfers, golfers, golfers. Some of you know about Bobby Jones. I was reading up on Bobby Jones. He's one of the greatest golfers of all time. I don't know if you realize this or not, but early in his career, everybody knew he had golf talent, but he had this problem with anger. He never could get beyond his anger. And if there's any sport that, <laughs> if there's any sport that will test your anger, it is golf. Bobby Jones was playing the British Open one day. Some of you will recall this. And he shot a 46 on the first nine. And that upset him. Like, dude, I would be praising God if I shot a 46 at the British Open on the first nine. He shot a 46. He got so mad that he turned toward the ocean and put a ball down and just bam, right into the ocean, stomped off the course and said, I'm never coming back to the British Open again. Now, the good news is Bobby Jones got a hold of his anger because a guy started coaching him how to deal with it. And he became one of the classiest, most professional, gentle golfers in golf during his era. 
Listen, moment of confession. Bobby Jones has nothing on me. I was, <laughs> I was a student pastor at Manning United Methodist Church. It was my first job in ministry. I told you, anger was my default emotion. As a part of my package, I remember what I was making. I was making $16,000 a year as a student pastor, and I was thrilled to be making that. On top of that, the church uh, got me a membership at the local country club. Manning United, not Manning, Manning United Methodist Church, where I was, but Manning Country Club. They got me a membership so I could go play golf anytime I wanted it. And they told me it would be good for me because I could take the students with me to play golf and build redemptive relationships with the students because golf was big in that area. And so I loved golf back then. I don't play it much anymore, but I still like to play. But I, I'm coming up on 18 and I had the best round of my life unfolding. It was something like, now I'm not that good of a golfer anymore and I wasn't that good back then, but I had like an 83 going. For some of you, you're like, that's nothing. But for me, an 83 was unbelievable. And so I got it, I drove it on, the, on number 18, bam, right down the center of the fairway. It was a beautiful shot. Some of you can see where this is going. I went up to the ball for my second stroke and the way this course lines up is number 18 is kind of like a dog leg to the left and your second shot, you have to hit it over a pond. And you have to hit it over a pond to the green and right beside the green, those of you who play golf, you know this is normally the case, is, is the clubhouse. So I come up to my ball on number two. I'm looking at about 140 yards into the green. Got this great round of golf going on. And man, I got up over the ball and I had some students with me. And I looked over at the clubhouse and there was another group of students and the, and the golf pro. The golf pro was out there as well. So they're all watching young Pastor Benji come into number 18. I chili dipped it, that meant worm burner, right into the pond. So I said, oh God, help me. Took a deep breath. I can still, I can st if, I can, if I can hit it close and one putt it, maybe even two putt, I still got the best round of my life. Right into the water. Said a few expletives under my breath. Dropped ball number three. shanked it right into the pond. I'm not proud to let you know that your pastor took that golf club that was in his hand, did a 360. <laughs> and the golf club went right into the middle of the pond. I felt horrible. I was so embarrassed. The students, <laughs> they, why do I tell you guys this kind of stuff? Such self-deprecation. They never let me live it down. The golf pro would give me a hard time every time I came back in there. A month later, they sent a, <laughs> they sent a scuba diver into the pond who gave me my golf club at church. Oh, pastor, here's your golf club, remember? I share that so that if you're here, man, and you have anger issues, realize there is hope in Jesus Christ. Realize, trust me, trust me, trust me. You can learn to overcome anger and you can learn to walk as a victor who is no longer consumed with anger and spewing it over everybody you come into contact with. But instead, you can learn to be a person of peace and joy 
and hope because you've learned that anger is only a reflection of what's really going on deep inside of you. And that is my hope and my prayer for you. And that is where we're gonna go on a deeper level next Sunday as we then turn and celebrate Holy Communion together. Let's pray. Father, we love you today and um, I thank you for uh, who you are. I thank you for what you've done in our lives and I thank you, God, that with you there's always victory. With you, oh God, there's always hope. God, as we think about this subject of anger, the truth is there's collateral damage spewed out over most people within the sound of my voice. God, most people have been victims of someone's anger. Many of us, oh God, have been perpetuators of anger and rage. God, I pray that we would take these three things and we would apply them deep to our lives. And Father, I pray that between this week and next week, many of us, oh God, will be able to walk away from this particular subject matter knowing exactly how to root it out. I'm talking about at the deep root level. God, would you take those ruins that have come our way due to anger and would you, oh God, start to build something beautiful and glorious with them? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless, church.